You're listening to The Interrobang Room, a podcast that challenges individuals to be passionately curious. My name is Douglas Witherup, and I'm the senior pastor to the Multiply Family of Churches. Join us as I sit down with industry leaders as we laugh, converse, and sometimes debate our way through how to approach life with a spirit of discovery and adventure. Hey, welcome to the Interrobang Room. I'm your host, Doug Witherup, here with John Hernandez and Zach Witt. Fellas, we are broadcasting for the very first time from Multiply Studios, Studio 110D in Multiply Studios. So uh, I want to encourage those of you that are listening to this on audio, um, click on click on the link. Head on over to Facebook. We're kind of excited about our studios yeah. and and studio. One, so why Studio One Ten D? There's actually a, it's actually an interesting story behind that. I hope you know it. No, I was that was I was just sh- shooting that out. I was I was. I don't know. We don't like A B or C. No, yeah. So <laughs> all, here's all we know <laughs> is that on the <laughs> on the door, we bought this property about 20 years ago. And this is a new room to be renovated in the property. It was an old shopping center. And on the door was was 110D. Okay. So that's the story. <laughs> there it is. Riveting. Deep. It used to be an old Winn-Dixie. Y'all remember shopping at Winn-Dixie? Yeah. Did you yeah. have Winn-Dixie's? Oh, yeah. We had Piggly Wiggly. Yeah. There's only, I saw Piggly Wiggly the other day um, as you're driving to, from Charlotte to, to North Myrtle Beach. Do you know, you know which one I'm talking about? No, but I want to go visit it. Oh, no, it wasn't either. It was on the, on the way to the Outer Banks. Oh, There's yeah, a Piggly that Wiggly. That's and impressive. I think there might be a couple left. Is there only one left? I don't know. There's one in the mountains too. Really? The, yeah, the Black Mountain area. There absolutely is. No, it's in, uh, it's in uh, Waynesboro. There you go. Waynesboro, yep. you're right. Been there a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. All, all the Winn-Dixie and Piggly Wiggly fans, give us a shout out. I feel like mm. we got a promotion, Pastor Doug. Like, yeah. when you look at the room. Should we put the, the Feel pig official. behind us? Oh, yeah. Do yeah. we have any sponsors yet? Maybe Piggly Wiggly <laughs> no, can sponsor. No, but I am wearing a form and function jacket. <laughs> this podcast. So form and function, one of our partners, if you're listening to this, shout out to form and function, and you can throw some advertising dollars our way anytime. <laughs> we probably got a lot of content to get through, but we can maybe sell the we name got enough. We got enough content today for three weeks. We'll so rename at the least. studio. Yeah. But naming rights, like the Piggy Wiggly Studios. Absolutely studio. we will. That's it. We're not proud. Studio. Piggy we'll Wiggly sell Studios. We'll sell. Come on. I'm in. Piggly Wiggly can't afford to. They have two grocery stores in like three states. About, I don't think they're, they're throwing advertising dollars all over the place. The Blockbuster will promote us. <laughs> well, Winn-Dixie, we could just give them the origin story. It was so Yeah, absolutely. We digress. Once again... Coming to you from the Multiply Studios, Studio 110D at Multiply Studios. Uh, So we're going to be talking at least two weeks, guys, and maybe three weeks, um, the idea of what we're going to call second chair leadership, the power of second chair leadership. So uh, this is a phrase that I'm stealing from Zach Witt's PhD studies, he's going to be able to, to do a deep dive into, hey, what is second chair leadership? What, the, what does this mean? But just real quick, for all of, our, all of our listeners and all of our viewers, probably, I mean, there's, there's not many number ones in organizations, right? There's just 
so probably, you know, we may have some that are CEO or you're an entrepreneur or you're the lead in whatever organization. Organization. Most people uh, are, are, are a two or three, mm -hmm. but that doesn't, that doesn't negate um, powerful leadership that can come from the second and third chair. Correct. So here's what I want to do is I want to frame this conversation with a true story. It's a historical narrative uh, from antiquity. It's a couple thousand years BC uh, and there were two nations. So they were rival nations and these always going back and forth and just different wars, territory wars, um, all, all kinds of things. Uh, and the one nation uh, had gained the upper hand and so there was the, there was a king. There's three main characters in this story. Uh, there was the king of the nation of the nation who was being oppressed. There was his son, the prince, and then there was the prince's armor bearer. And so there were six. The king and six hundred of his men were camped at the bottom of the cliff. The oppressor nation was on top of the cliff. They had the upper hand. They had the better uh, geographical battle position. All of that. The the nation at the bottom of the cliff was was lesser. Only six. 600 people. So you had the king, you had the king's son, and you had the armor bearer. Well, the king didn't want to do anything about it. He was outnumbered. He was just kind of like, man, I don't, don't know what to do. I'm going to hold my ground. We're oppressed. What do I do? So we're just kind of camped out. And the king's son gets this idea, and he says, hey, let's give this thing a shot. We, I can't keep living like this. I don't want to live under tyrannical rule. I don't want to wake up and walk out of my tent every day. And uh, he says, hey, perhaps... Uh, perhaps if we climb this cliff, we'll be able to gain a victory. And this is what I want to draw attention to is a cool phrase from this story as recorded in the historical narrative. It's the unnamed armor bearer. Mm -hmm. So we don't even know his name. Like there's all kinds of people with titles, positions. Mm. There's actually another guy that was a priest that was like the religious advisory council. So uh, if you think like he was kind of the pope of the day. Uh, so so he had, you had the king, you had the pope, you had the prince, and it was one unnamed armor bearer that says this phrase to the prince. He says, go ahead, go ahead, prince, go ahead. I'm with you heart and soul. And it was that one phrase from the unnamed armor bearer that gave the prince so the second in command, that second cheerleader, the courage to climb the cliff, and that actually began this domino effect, this whole movement where the lesser in numbers nation overtook and they won a great victory that day. Um, but, uh, but for the purposes of our conversation, it just shows the power of second chair leadership, second and third tier leadership to really... Um, Movements, I would say, in many ways, in many ways, movements don't necessarily begin with leadership. Movements begin with that second and third chair leadership of, that come alongside and say, like, go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. And just the influence of that second chair, the influence of that, that third chair. So, Zach, as I mentioned before, you've done a lot of research uh, yeah. on this topic over the last two or three years, but maybe just like condense that or give our, give our listeners an overview. What is, what is second chair leadership? Or, or I'll, I'll ask both of these questions. Yeah. You tell me which one you want to answer first. So what is it 
and then or and what is the root of it? Yeah. And tell me which one of those you want to answer well, and and then go. Well, let's let's go to what is it first, okay. and then we'll go. Well, I'll give you kind of some historical context, yeah. some background, where it came from. So when you talk second chair leadership, and we'll use the story that you used. Um, let, let me go back to a comment that you made. Uh, you mentioned that, oh, well, maybe there's some entrepreneurs and, and maybe you're leading the organization. This is what I would submit. E everyone is actually in second chair, regardless mm. of if you're at the top of the organization or not. So you mentioned CEO. Well, what's usually above a CEO? Yeah, they got to report to the board. The right? board's there. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and so if you're an entrepreneur and you own your own business and maybe you're the person in charge, well, I would submit that you're second chair to your consumers. Mm. So you're always in a, a second chair. So second chair leadership is simply this. You don't have to have a title to lead. Wow. A anyone can lead yeah. uh, from any position at any time. And, and so why second chair? You mentioned kind of second and third or fourth. Um, the idea behind second chair leadership is that you're always second to someone. You're always second to something. Um, so regardless of the seat that you're in, maybe you're saying, well, I'm, I'm actually in the 42nd chair. Well, yeah, you are, but, but you're in the second chair to your upline. I love uh, that. So it's never, uh, it doesn't have to be three, four, five layers removed. Just kind of uh, think of it in the context of you're in the second chair to your upline. And, and to be honest with you, the first time that I really ever noticed this was in Band of Brothers. Uh, so in Band of Brothers, there's a scene uh, that uh, the sergeant kind of challenges all the men to learn uh, two levels up. You have to know the job two levels ahead of you uh, because if you go down in battle and you go down when there's chaos, well, you better know how to complete the job of the person in front of you. So this idea of second chair. So Band of Brothers, I haven't seen that movie. It's, it's about, yeah, it's a mini I mean, series. It's yeah, it's okay. a mini series, gotcha, uh, HBO gotcha. mini series. Okay. Uh, it's probably, man, I'm, I'm throwing this out 15 years old oh, at gotcha. this point. Um, so, so the idea is uh, as a, as someone that is uh, in the mil or was in the military, uh, as someone that always wants to learn kind of leadership principles, I should always be focusing on the next job in front of me while maintaining my current yeah. job. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of where it was born. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So then get, so Len, uh, let's go to that second layer, just the, the root. Yeah. So the, the historical context. So to find the root of second chair leadership, we have to start with perception theories and, and perception theories came onto the scene in the early 1900s. So this researcher by the name of Fayol researched how management interacted with personnel based on 14 principles that he found. And the 14th principle was a spirit decor. And, and it might be one of the most interesting principles, but it was this idea that indicated managers are responsible for the morale and the communication to employees, which set the standard for mutual trust between a leader or a follower, and, and then ultimately organizational understanding, all of which were altered by an individual's perception. So how the leader perceived the follower and how the follower perceived the leader. So again, it might be second chair leadership, but it's still working in unison together. So for 30 years, management was followed by the likes of Weber, who sought to improve organizational performance. Why? Because in organizational performance, we always want to ask the question, how do we maximize output? How, right. how are we maximizing optimal workflow? How do we get the very best out of our, our teams? And if you're a leader in the room, if you're involved in any organization, you always want the very best for your organization. So there were various studies that were done to understand complexity and organizational environment and, and so on and so forth. So we move from this idea of perception theory to contingency theories. And then, so let me hold, yeah. let me stop there on perception theory. Yeah. Right. So you, you said that some people perform in an organization like a, 
uh, according to like how I perceive that my correct upline that my leader sees me correct. So, so say a little bit more about yeah, that. Yeah, so we'll, we'll dive into it. So, um, so we'll take it in the context of the organization that we work in. Yeah. So for, for all accounts, you're my boss, and, and I'm, in a, I'm in a seat below you. So there's two ways that you can view perception, one of which is per, the perception of the follower towards the leader, meaning how does Doug view my work? How does Doug view what I'm doing? And it's my perception on what you think. So I could have the perception that you think I'm a terrible employee. You might have the perception that I'm a great employee, but perception theory works both ways in the sense of how I perceive someone views me is how I'm going to act. So let's just, let's just get real practical. Yeah. If you're, if you're in a leadership capacity in an organization and you're wanting to get the best out of the people under your leadership, right? Yep. So you're a, you're a teacher and you want your students to perform at their highest capacity. Yeah. You're a soccer coach and you want your soccer players to perform at their highest capacity. You're a division manager and you want all of your sales reps to co- perform at their highest capacity. What are some things that that leader can do to create that perception of the students, players, employee sales rep of, Hey, I believe in you. I'm for you. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, we've mentioned this book in a uh, previous podcast, but the five love love languages, Uh right? And so let me kind of take that context. You have to, first off, you have to know how to communicate to the individual, um, that you're communicating to. So different people respond different ways. So different people are going to take their perceptions on different uh, kind of levels. So for me, I, I'm a words of affirmation person, right? So I need so to fi- hear. So you're saying five love languages can, it's not just for husbands and it's wives. It's not just for husbands and wives. <laughs> a- absolutely. Uh, so it's the way that we're, it's the way that we're wired. Yeah. So if you look at something like the Enneagram, right? We want right. to, we want to see how people act and why people act the way they do uh, on this, on the other side of that, that teaches you how to communicate back and forth. Uh, so on a very practical level, if you have someone who's like, uh, if, you ha- if you're leading someone who has a personality type like me. And so for me, uh, I'm a, a type A person. L- don't, don't hold me back. Let me run. Uh, give me some guidelines and just let me go. Well, I need my leader to give me words of affirmation saying, hey, you're going in the right direction. That's great. On the other hand, if you have a, another individual that you're trying to lead that, that needs some more direction, well, you might have to say, give them task A, B, and C. Mm. So uh, the problem, the, the challenge with perception theory is that when you think perception, you think in your head. When you think perception, it's what, it's what you're thinking someone else thought about yeah. you. So that's yeah. one of the bigger challenges. I'll tell you one, I'll tell you one, one challenge. Um, like one challenge as a leader, I've got, I've got to be very just aware of this, of, man, as a leader, what do you tend to notice? Mm-hmm. Le- leaders by their nature are problem fixers, mm-hmm. right? So like an entrepreneur started because they saw a problem and wanted to fix the problem. Or, uh, uh, you know, you're a coach because there might be a, the problem is you want to win the game. You want to fix the problem or how do I win the game um, that we were weak in our in our defense or are weak in our goalie. So there's the problem. And so as a leader, 
a lot of times what you notice is the problem and you're fixing, and that may, that may only be 10%, mm. but you're focused on the 10% that's wrong instead of the 90% that's right. And I've found myself doing this, like after we go through, say we go through an event or something in our organization, my first conversations aren't with the people that are 90% right. In fact, in fact, some of the highest performers in our organization, I can, if I'm not careful, I can take them for granted mm. because I like, I'm like, Oh, if that person, like say, um, we have communicators in our organization, we have mi musicians in our organization. Oh, when that person communicates, they knock it out of the park all the time. I take it for granted. And so yeah. I may not affirm that. It's like, of course they do. Or a musician, every time they, every time they lead uh, a song or play, they kill it. Of course they do. I just get, I get used to that. So like, how, how do we intentionally speak into that and bolster the... Yeah. The, John, say, say something to that, and then I'll yeah. get back to that. So one of the things I wanted to bring up is we've been talking a little bit about language. I think it's important, and we'll get back there. But I think also for me and my personality type, and I, I, we can sit here and talk for hours because I've taken so many stinking tests. I'm numbers. I'm letters. It's all over the place. <laughs> but I also know that one of the things that makes second chair work is a leader who trusts in my competency. Yeah. So it's not just what you say. It's also how you structure your organization so that I know you trust what you put into my hands will get done, that that makes a huge difference in how I follow and how I feel encouraged. Micromanagement for me, just John Hernandez personally, I think micromanagement often uh, falls in the face. Like sometimes you're encouraging me audibly, but then the micromanagement of the mm. way that I'm doing the thing you've handed to me is a reflection that you don't trust me or that my skill set isn't good enough or, you know, what's, what, why, why are you overshadowing me? So I think it's not just language, but even in the structure of the organization, do you give space for people to actually do what it is you're asking them to do? I think that's yeah, huge. That is, that is huge. Yeah. Let me go back to your nine, your 90%, 10% yeah. comment. Yeah, yeah. So here, here's the reality. We internalize the 90%. Mm. So we think about the positive, but we verbalize the 10%. So we'll verbalize wow. the negative. We'll verbalize yeah. the challenge. We'll mm -hmm. verbalize what needs to be fixed. Yeah. And so in the leader or in the manager's mind, we will think positive about people below us, but we'll never verbalize or we don't verbalize it as often as we should. Wow. So we have to flip that script to, yes, we need to still verbalize those challenges, but we'll go back to our seven to one rule. You have to verbalize the positives as well. Yeah, that's so, that's so crucial. That's mm -hmm. so, so crucial. Um, so, uh, John, you meant, you mentioned it. Um, the language, language matters yeah. in this. So if you are, and I love that, I love that thought of we're all second chair leaders that changes, that's metaphor changing yeah. for me. And I think it's true. Um, I absolutely do. For the sake of our conversation, I'm gonna still I'm gonna throw in mm -hmm. first chair here right. just for right. the sake of um, John. Talk to us for people that may be in that quote first chair in their organization. How can they intentionally or or let me say it this way? Um, probably no, no matter which chair they're they're in, all of us have an upline and a downline. Yep. Most people have yep. an upline and a downline. Mm -hmm. So let's talk to the people um, in their downline. How can they use language that will specifically yeah. motivate those? Up? 
on uh, uh, quote underneath them in their in their leadership. Yeah, I really chart. think I, I really think so much of language it, the, the, where you sit actually doesn't even really matter. Specifically, when it comes to the power of pronouns, that idea of uh, the we, the I, the me, the us, right? So uh, a study was done in Australia where they analyzed elections from all of their prime minister candidates uh, in all of the 43 Australian federal elections since their independence from Britain in 1901, which basically means they just looked at all their elections. And they measured the candidates' use of the personal I, me, and collective pronouns of we and us. And what they found was those who won, the victors, used more collective pronouns than their unsuccessful opponents in 80% of all elections. So across all elections, the winners made 61% more references to we and us. And you can only imagine even no matter what your context is, whether it's the context of family, whether it's the context of your organization, whether it's the context of your own business or business that you're working alongside, um, the business environment is made better when we consider everything we do as we and us. And um, one of the things that I've just learned sitting in a second chair for a majority of my adult life is that when I'm dealing with criticism, when I'm dealing with problems, when I'm dealing with challenges, even when I'm dealing with successes, that pronoun really matters. My response and the pronoun mm -hmm. really matters. So uh, a, a, a rule of thumb that I've always learned is when it comes to uh, challenges, in moments where I'm being criticized or there's a negative thing brought to me, I have a tendency of... In communication, I'm taking that blame. I don't want to pass that blame beyond me. Now, th that has a tendency of creating some problems, and I want to make sure that I'm quick to say I, I navigate that with integrity, and I want to make sure that I'm navigating that with integrity. But what I want to do is for the person who I'm leading, I want to protect them sure. from s some unfair accusations. Now, it doesn't mean, or, or it, situations, it doesn't mean that I don't hold them accountable. Right. But it means that in that conversation, I'm taking the blunt of that blame. And I, and I tell my staff quite a bit, like we have this conversation when I was in youth ministry and now as I'm leading in my, in my current position, I tell them, I don't mind taking the heat. Like I want you to be able to run. And even, even if we have to reevaluate later, you're more than welcome. I will always use the I pronoun when I'm navigating those kind of conversations. But then when it comes to the glory of the battle, it very much becomes us and we and them in order to create that sense that we're, as an organization, we all rise and fall together. And when there's success, we want to make sure we pass that success no on. So, and it doesn't matter where you sit. You can pass success to those who you lead and pass success to those who lead you. You can protect those you lead and it, you can protect those who lead you. Yeah, so uh, uh, so important. I heard a couple of things there. One, I heard to praise publicly yes, yeah. and correct privately. Without a doubt. And then I heard that if I'm under, if I'm under John's umbrella of leadership, I have a safe place to risk, to yeah. experiment, to try, and to and to fail. Yeah. And that if I risk and fail, my leader's got my back. Mm -hmm. And that's huge because if you don't risk, you don't innovate. And if you don't innovate, you don't change. And if you don't change, you die. Yep. There are no. There is no. The myth of maintain. Yeah. <laughs> there is no such thing no. in the physiological universe. There is no such thing yeah, as maintain. Not. You're either you're either living, growing, gaining, or you're or you're not. dying. So, um, John, I, th I think that's so important. Um, running 
out of time because we spent way too much time talking about <laughs> 110D and, and the origins. But this is going to be, uh, this will be at least a two-part, probably a three-part series. I really want to dive, dive into this. Let me, let me close with this. Just a real life. This is where us three are at today yeah. in our organization. So we're walking through a name change of a 62-year-old uh, organization, right? Which... Which is uh, which presents its challenges. Anytime you you offer, that's a significant change, and to something with that much history uh, behind it, there's certainly emotions and there's certainly loyalty to uh, a certain name or different things like that. So over overall, it's been good. But but as the quote leader of the organization, there's no doubt that it has brought brought some challenges my way in the past. Uh, in the past two weeks, both of you guys have sent me texts uh, or an email and a text, just the spirit of go ahead. I'm with you heart and soul. Like we're, we're in this, let's go, let's, and what that it, it's like, it's, that's like adrenaline for me. That's like lifeblood in my sales. And so just a real life example, this isn't just something in uh, antiquity of an armor bearer to a prince 4,000 years ago, and it's not just something in theoretical uh, uh, research. Like, I've seen this in operation in our organization in the past two weeks of just the power. So let me just say, let, let me end with this as, as, and we'll jump back in. I, this, I'm really interested, Zach, to hear more on this idea of second chair, second chair leadership. So I just let me speak into somebody that um, uh, doesn't feel, it feel, feel stuck uh, in your organization because you think, well, what, I don't have the position, I don't have the title, I don't have the influence, I don't have the money. Like, you are a leader. Leadership is influence. You have influence. And so I just want to encourage you, um, maybe your leader will perform better be, when you start to put wind in the, in oh, his or that's her a good word, sales. That's a good so, word. So, like, um, maybe there are there are a lot of challenges that your leader is going through. I want to encourage you. This is not called brown nosing. It's called, it's called being a great second chair leadership. Find something your leader is doing well and affirm that. Verbalize that. Zach said it. We think the 90% positive. We verbalize the 10% negative. Find several things that your leader is doing well, affirm that, vocalize that, verbalize it, and I bet that it will take your organization to the next level. That is That starts changing culture. No doubt. And it doubt. starts changing language. Without a doubt. And culture and language, it starts changing the atmosphere mm -hmm. of the office. It starts changing the atmosphere of the soccer team. It starts changing the language, uh, the atmosphere of the classroom. So again, thanks for joining us on the Interbang Room. Continue to live lives of passionate curiosity and discovery. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. We'll see you next week on the Interbang Room.